Welcome to the Confluence Podcast with your January host, Josie Purcell. In this episode, I chat with our CEO at West Country Rivers Trust, Dr. Lawrence Coldrick, and find out more about why he loves rivers in the West Country, why he hopes for their future, and even which one is his favourite. So take a meander along West Country waterways and wade in with us. So a big hello and welcome to Lawrence, our Chief Exec at West Country Rivers Trust. Hello, Lawrence. Hi there, Josie. It's really good to chat with you today. I'm really excited to actually probably learn a lot more about you as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. No worries. Um, I'd like to kick off actually with um, a question about what got you into rivers. How have you come to be in your role as CEO at, at West Country Rivers Trust? So I grew up in the in the southeast, sort of in sort of around Hastings and Bexhill and that sort of area. We kind of didn't really have rivers; weren't part of my childhood at home. Mm-hmm. But every year we'd go up to our family would go up to um, South Wales um, and mm-hmm. around. The, of Rusk um, and actually we'd spend a lot of our summer holidays every year going up there for a couple of weeks and so my memories are really of, of rivers of playing in in the rivers of the Usk and it was always struck me as very as a really clean sort of exciting river so we would we would get sort of inflatable inner tubes tires sort of car tires <laughs> float down the river and catch minnows in in jam jars and look at the invertebrates and have barbecues by the river and I suppose that kind of that love of of that environment and those rivers really stemmed from that sort of time. We, we have something in common in the sense I grew up in Wales, but I was North Wales, so mine was the River Dee. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think so oh. many people can appreciate what you're saying about, um, you know, if they've had that experience, particularly in childhood, about, you know, splashing about in a in a wonderful river. It, it, it does have a, you know, a, a lasting impression, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. It sort of really sort of starts sort of identifying what a river is and what it means to you. So I think it was a really, really kind of fundamental point in my my childhood for for, for linked to to what I do now. Mm. So from childhood, then how how have you sort of uh, you know what sort of route have you taken to to your role and and sort of heading up the the charity? And <laughs> um, she still works for the trust, but she's taken sort of time off over the years to have. Have children, yeah, children, and um, but I sort of started hanging out with some of the guys at West Country Rivers Trust at the time, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of conversation around the work we were doing on um, catchment management and trying to sort of get farm advisors, which is what my wife kind of joined up to do. Mm-hmm. And the challenge at the time was um, we could either get farmers who knew about farming but couldn't write reports. Um, yeah. Or we could get people that write reports. My wife came in and she has a sort of from a background of farming, but isn't farmer herself. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, I started talking to them about sort of uh, my role in doing educational activities and some of the things I've been doing. And so I actually volunteered back in 2003 to write a bid to develop a foundation degree. Um, oh, wow. address this issue and and actually we I was successful I came in on a sort of uh, again still volunteering or what have you and it was only really when we started conversations with Dutchie College about developing that foundation degree 
the, the, the then CEO, kind of Arlen Rickard at West Country Rivers Trust, said, well, I suppose we ought to employ him. <laughs> so so I, I came into the trust sort of like um, sort of from that basis, um, set up a foundation degree, ran that for, oh, got to be six, seven years or so um, after mm. college. And, and actually some of the students have spread across the Rivers Trust movement. Um, so I've been fairly successful within there. And so it did what it set out to do, although back then it kind of I think the demand wasn't there as much as it is now so we're actually mm -hmm. now revisiting that whole syllabus and those sorts of things because there's a much bigger demand now for that type of approach yeah. <laughs> oh well it's really good though to to hear I think as well it's really good when you hear someone um, who has got to sort of see CEO level has started from a, a volunteer it's really refreshing to to sort of hear that and you've obviously got to know the organisation and the charity so well because of that experience. Um, what are you excited about for the future of West Country Rivers? The, not, not the charity, the actual rivers themselves. I spoke earlier on about kind of sort of my, my formative years of being up in the Usk and seeing some of those rivers and there's some amazing rivers up there. Well, we've got equally amazing rivers down here. There are just some awesome stretches, some sections, some catchments that mm. are just kind of outstanding um, mm. with the challenges is uh, like the rest of the UK we have some significant problems that are out mm. there whether it's through kind of agriculture and nutrients and sediment loss whether it's from the sewage getting into our rivers whether it's from the abandoned mines um, and historic yeah. sort of issues we have and so <laughs> I think some of the, the, the you can see our rivers at its best when kind of you're out sort of accessing them enjoying them being part of them um and and so whether it's kind of some of the the, the smaller streams up on dartmoor and bodmin moor whether it's down in the kind of middle reaches certainly on things like the river camel and over on the x or whether it's down in the estuaries um and as, the, as they head out into the sort of mouths that are our rivers there's some amazing spots um that people can go and, and be part of I think that the challenge I've set against that is is when the the scale of the pressures we face, mm. it's quite easy to be dwarfed by that and mm. overcome by that. And I think as as individuals, as organisations, and for that matter as a society, I think that's a real challenge. Is how do you maintain the passion and the want to deliver? And I think the answer to that is, is when when we do deliver we see change we see local change we can see mm -hmm. that we can stop pollution sources we can stop um, uh, kind of recreate and restore habitats and we can see nature returning um to those mm -hmm. the challenge is for every one thing we do there's probably another 10 if not 100 equivalents that need activity so it's 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 great seeing the change but i think the volume and pace required to counter kind of some of the things that have happened and a lack of investment um mm. and sort of rallying against the status quo is is significant and for for people then who want to support dreams rivers estuaries we have our citizen science program is that something that you feel is really a really important part of this bigger picture of organizations water companies etc all making um a difference as well yeah no it is um but before i mean i'll talk about um the citizen science um program but 
going back from that, when I started at the truck, mm. there were few people that were interested in the state of our rivers mm-hmm. um, and that spoke about it. And one of the most sort of vocal groups were the anglers mm-hmm. um, on our rivers. And that's because they could see the impact we were having, society was having collectively um, through failing um, fish stocks. And so therefore the the rivers that they grew up with, the angling that they grew up with, wasn't anywhere near what it used to be and within mm. that. They could see that change. The challenge was, I think at the time, um, they were deemed as too narrower um, niche voice. So okay. it's very easy to marginalise that. Whereas what's interesting, in the time I've been at the Trust, a um, far greater array of society have woken up to these pressures um, and so we we already saw that kind of in the sort of 2000s and 15s as more people were accessing stand-up paddleboarding, kind of wild swimming. But that has been really supercharged during COVID. Mm. People were forced into kind of looking at their local environments, accessing their rivers, accessing their kind of things. And when you when you can see a habitat and when you can understand a habitat, you can see what's changing within that so i think the diversity and volume of the voice that's out there is growing and has been growing substantially and that means that it's no longer niche it's no longer just a narrow section of society mm-hmm. saying this is insufficient now things like citizen science investigations and that sort of program is really important to us it allows people to go out and understand and sort of see their rivers and monitor their rivers and see how they're changing and, and be passionate about that mm-hmm. and, and be vocal about the, the pressures that are out there. But it also gives a robustness to their voice. Yeah. Um, without it, you just say, I think things are changing. You have no information, no data, no kind of independence behind that. So it's, it's very easy, again, to be marginalised. Um, within yeah. that so having having the size and scale of people monitoring their rivers shouting about their rivers talking about their rivers means as a society we are demanding change now mm. I think that has fundamentally shifted and i think that is a um that is a sort of cannot be put back in the box yeah yeah definitely and our our citizen science as well i mean we are part of our charities part of a, the national um organization the rivers trust and we, and we are sort of starting to work um on a pilot project through them um to to sort of look at developing citizen science even more on a national scale do you think citizen science is something that we're just going to keep seeing grow and grow I know that we've got about 850 water bodies in the West Country alone, haven't we? So, you know, that's a, a, a lot of people potentially out there trying to look after and, and monitor their rivers. Individuals, communities, groups, a level of, of information that they're just not getting in other ways. They kind of have right. the intent, they, they understand it's something. The, the challenge comes, and the reason why I believe passionately on, on having national approaches to this, Mm. is um, as well as kind of uh, this regional local approach is that data is fairly meaningless without turning it into a level of understanding Mm. and it's there's an interesting thing that's happening at the moment it's very easy or it's been easier for us to fund um, sort of 
crowdfund and get money for the kits and equipping and training people. What's mm. much more challenging is actually paying for the costs of analyzing that data and turning it into understanding and working with communities to, to answer the question, so what? Yes. What do we do with this data? And then what are the next steps? And the, the, the data that's collected is not enough to sit there and go, right, okay, this is a problem, this is a polluter and let's prosecute them or let's push yeah. them or whatever. It's around saying there's a risk here. We think there's a problem. Now yeah. we need to be able to then start pulling out further data, further monitoring, understanding some of those issues, holding two people to account. Mm. But it's 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 the action that comes out of the back of it and that uh, mm. kind of understanding that is is crucial. And, and that's actually more challenging to uh, to to fund and to to cover and to work out how to mm. do that. And I, I, I imagine for many of the volunteers that we do have, one of the other benefits, you know, not just collecting the information to start these, you know, that sort of pro, um, progress and process and getting that in place relates to how they connect to their rivers and the fact that they're, they're in nature. So is being in nature and being close to a river that's still something that's really important to you I mean there's so much research around sort of the green and blue blue health is that something then that not just for our volunteers for you personally you're still you're still sort of taking enjoyment from I think I think it is it's a being in environment nature it can't be under underestimated how valuable that is the trouble is as i think as a society we disconnect from that um, mm. it's too easy to sort of spend your life on a screen or trapped up indoors um and it's kind of very easy when it's when it's raining or when it's not nice to sort of take that approach but i think whenever whenever i personally whenever i am out walking by the river or out kind of sort of accessing kind of those sorts of areas it, there's a level of calm um mm -hmm. and i mean some of some of the things i enjoy the most at west country rivers trust is kind of coming up with new ideas and triggering that off with sort of thoughts with people and thinking about how to knit these things together and some of my best thinking is done when i'm not thinking about it <laughs> when i'm walking by the river when i'm sort of the the river environment river habitats are, are very special places doctors are now able to prescribe um, certain activities for people to do so trying to get people to out and about in river environments is, is another sort of option as well um, to really build this love of rivers um, do you feel that that's something that's a, a, you know an, an important aspect of, of, of a society's health yeah so I mean I, th I think I mean we've seen well, I've seen sort of a know of kind of doctors that are already prescribing um sort of walks local areas yeah. um, of activities people can do um, and that's often been something to prescribe is is increasing their physical fitness but i think just as valid as you as you say is is increasing mental fitness yeah. and, and mental resilience i think the 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 challenges is i think that that is um, this sort of approach is usually um, a, a preventative. Mm. I mean, it can be a restorative measure and a cure to some of these things, but it's more of a preventative thing of how how do people ensure that they've got that level, of, that space to stop and breathe 
mm. and taking where they are and what have you. And I think as a, a sort of going back to the sort of earlier comments, I think there's a um, there's a, a classic sort of image that is, pops into my head of of humans sitting on top of an outside of nature and it's kind of almost in celebration of the ego that we are in control of everything whereas actually it shouldn't be ego it should be eco and then we're part of a system and actually I feel fundamentally that kind of you need to sit yourself within nature and within the environment rather than thinking you can control all of that Mm. and I think we we see that within some of the shifts that's happening with actually what we can do within our catchment. So no longer is the conversation around just controlling kind of floodwaters and, and, and stopping them from getting into our sort of bounds of the cities or kind of draining our lands as quickly as possible. It's around, actually, we've got to work with nature and with our, with our sort of communities. Yeah. I mean, we are, I mean, we are nature, aren't we? So like you say, we, we, we're not separate from it we are very much a part of it but I do find the Bob um Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse program really relaxing and that's even just watching someone being next to a river um is that something that you watch at all yeah I I, I can't say I've watched that as much as I perhaps should but I I have watched quite a few of those sorts of things over the years and I think there's a there's a sort of a lot of interesting elements within that because of the fact that, um, as I say, just being part of nature, I think, is 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 a valuable um, activity. Um, and what's interesting about rivers are rivers are constantly changing, um, and not just because of the fact that they might be sort of flooding one time in drought, another time clear, dirty, all of these sorts mm. of things, but also it's that. The, it, a river is an indicator of everything that's happening upstream of that. And I don't just mean everything ecologically, environmentally mm-hmm. happening, like pollution, that, but they're an indicator of society, how well mm-hmm. we're functioning um, a, 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 as a community. And so they, they're effectively the, the DNA, the fingerprint of, of what's going on in society. And if, if we're getting slow and clean water with a what a lot of wildlife tra- um, in it and still having food and energy and all of these places to play and live and what have you then we're doing incredibly well as a society mm. challenges i think we've neglected that we think we can build our way out of all these problems we silo ourselves and so not surprisingly our rivers are telling us that that story isn't working and so sort of some of the things, um, sort of those fishing programs, uh, fish are, if there is the, um, is the, the fingerprint or the, the, the DNA, that the fish are the, the pinnacle thing that if you don't have that, if you don't have everything right, they're not going to be there. Going to be there, so yeah. Fishing itself tells the story, which is why the angling communities were one of the first to step up and see this change. Mm. Um, but I think on a, on a more sort of, sort of, subtle point though or more sort of straight point I think there's a there's a, a a really interesting thing around angling and around fishing because it's 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 fishing not catching i there's a, a lot of time when you're just spent by the river yeah and it's not about the actual active the, the point of when you catch a fish it's it's the fact that what's there what what might happen 
So I think it's, yeah, it's that, I think that's why they're so interesting and so attractive because they work on so many layers. Those sorts of programs. Yes, yeah, and if it opens people's eyes to to sort of oh you know this this could be on my doorstep, I might go and investigate it a bit more. Then that's um you know that's that's a good thing. The the more people connect to their their waterways where they are, and and I guess um what do you feel about sort of plans for when you know, new developments are being considered around making them more considering sort of the environmental aspect even more than they ever have. I mean, that's obviously going to be a good thing, but but we've done a lot of work in the charity around sustainable drainage, you know, and there's all these other sort of places around the world where they're looking at um, green walls and forest cities and all of these different ways of, of sort of improving how we live in a... Uh, communities that are getting more sort of urban. what do you feel about sort of rivers not you know it's not just about being in in country or urban spaces it, it works in all areas if I'm making sense <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, think, I think you are I think the the, the interesting well, when we look at kind of the urban environment on the on the rural environment sort of there's we we they, it covers Compared to the area we're looking at, the area we're covering, we've got sort of eighty plus percent is farmed. So we know that part of the jigsaw puzzle quite well in terms of the agricultural issues and some of the sewage issues that are in there. In terms of the urban side, I think the challenge is we're dealing with a lot of historic infrastructure now. New developments as they come on, they're bound by new rules, and there's some interesting additions um, to things like biodiversity net gain and and designing with nature and and I think the understanding that has increased the challenge is that the system is still set up to to do the housing and the development first and then mm-hmm. think about the infrastructure that's needed second so the the roads the schools the communities are the last sort of get built afterwards but even further behind that is understanding well is the catchment is the environmental infrastructure sufficient for that number of people for those sorts mm. of things happening have you and i think we're still quite poor at answering that question and providing the funding the resources the um, the infrastructure up front rather mm. than an afterthought and and because usually by the time it's an afterthought it's so sort of afterwards it doesn't get done mm-hmm. so this is it's probably not a question you can actually even answer but if you had a magic wand for our rivers in our region is there something that you would potentially want to do first and foremost i mean i think the 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 magic wand that has to happen straight away and it shouldn't be a magic wand so i wouldn't want to use it if i had my wishes i wouldn't (laughs) use it for this but we have uh, an aging and ailing um, sewage infrastructure mm. in our, our catchments that means a huge amount of storm water is getting into our sewage system mm. that means that more of the storm water sewage water gets into our rivers there's just not enough capacity investment um, within that structures and systems now I know that the pressure on the water company is significant at the moment mm. I know that they have ambitions to meet that um, I know the ambitions, the want is to be able to do that right now, straight away. Um, but I, I 
the, the pragmatist, the realist in me knows that that's going to take years, mm. years to sort of develop because some of these situations, as I say, we have we have infrastructure that dates back hundreds of years where you're combining all of these sources and issues. And so the, the magic wand would be able to separate out that clean water, store mm. it so we don't have um, as much drought um, and sort of be able to manage all of our, our, our systems appropriately. So there's a kind of a wand that I, I, I'd like to do for that. And that would be helpful. Mm. But the I wouldn't use I wouldn't use my magic wand. <laughs> I wouldn't use my wish for that element because that has to happen, should yes. happen. And yeah. it's, the unfortunate thing is I think it will take longer than we would like as a society. Um, the the magic wand though has to be for me about the agricultural side of things mm. because there what's happening is our rivers are dying sort of a death by a thousand cuts mm. and it it's and it's not necessarily just kind of the things that could be and should be regulated and I kind of we can talk at length about kind of the, mm. the need for more enforcement of point source pollutions with the farmed environment but the amount of 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 soils and nutrients that get into our rivers um throughout across the entire areas are have fundamentally shifted our our rivers and so i think if i could wave my magic wand it would be that all soils are are kind of in a really healthy position and would continue have the infrastructure to continue being in a healthy condition um that they are surrounded by sort of enough natural habitat that could slow and clean and mm. purify any water that is still coming off. And what that would mean is that our rivers, when it rained, even with the increasing rainfall due to climate change, mm. we would have slow and clean water coming into our, our streams, our rivers and our estuaries, rather than what's happening now, which is quick and dirty water and that means that just so many parts of society are, are impacted by that. Well, hopefully, with the help of charities like ourselves, we will get to that in the future. Um, but in the meantime, then, Lawrence, while we're sort of working towards these um, end results, healthy, safe water and rivers, do you actually have um, a place... Um, that you would call your favourite river or freshwater habitat and why? And if you do, do you even want to share it? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, it's always, it's always a hard a hard thing to pick up because th so many different rivers hold so many different memories and so many different benefits or, or kind of interests or what have you. But not surprisingly, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of live um, around the kind of the, the Callington sort of the Stoke Climsland area. And so for me, kind of the areas I enjoy the most are the places that I go to most frequently. And so I think the, the ones that stick out in my mind are areas like um, Calstock and Coate Heel. And when you're down in that environment and down in that area, especially around high tide, where the river's full and it's calm and still, and it's, it's sort of especially early in the morning or late in the evening, mm. and it's just 
amazing and you can see um so much kind of wildlife and you can see a sense of calm mm. that comes across it's hard to get at i find through any other environment Mm. and it's just whether it's me walking along there with the dog and the children or whether it's sort of canoeing around it or whether it's going and have a picnic mm. those those times are are completely um, renewing mm. and um, unfortunately I just don't have time to do it as often as I do. <laughs> oh brilliant well you painted a great picture of of, of of your favourite sort of um, places by the river and I'm sure lots of people hopefully will will be able to sort of imagine that and and, and sort of appreciate that sense and, and feeling that you get from being by the water and um, so I've, I've really appreciate you taking the time to to have a chat and share some of your views and your thoughts on our rivers and um, and sort of the the charity as well um, what would be the best way for you then just to finish to, for people to perhaps think about getting involved with with our charity yeah so I, th I think the most the easiest and most obvious thing is uh, things like our citizen science program um so obviously people are more than welcome to sign up if you feel like you don't want to sign up but you can there's the ability to sort of donate and that helps us as i said to kind of further that but also turn all of that information into community understanding mm -hmm. so there's some obvious things that you can do but further than that and wider than that is just go out and, and and be part of your river and and look at it and and enjoy it and because with that enjoyment comes a level of understanding about it and and passion for it and with that passion comes the want to talk about it and communicate it with it and it's the volume of people that are now talking about these things that have woken up to our rivers have woken up to the plight and the situation they're in and and have just said that's not enough that's not good enough and it's that volume that's really vital absolutely oh well thank you thank you lawrence um it's been yeah it's been really great to to chat and hear your thoughts and um yeah we we shall we shall catch up very soon <laughs> you're welcome thanks lawrence thanks a lot It's been great to talk with Lawrence and although we can all do so much more to make sure our rivers are healthy now and in the future, Lawrence did paint a wonderful picture of life um, along the riverbank and how much enjoyment you can get from being by our freshwater habitats. Um, if you'd like to take part in the podcast and share your life along the riverbank or even if you'd like to suggest someone that you'd love to hear from, then you can email josie at wrt.org.uk or just visit us over at our website wrt.org.uk So until next time, keep your wellies, your waders and your wetsuits at the ready. Bye!